Hi, I'm Lars Eriklundin. Here is a yet one more of my video recordings, also SoundCloud recordings, about um, Sweden and European security in a wide sense. And uh, more specifically, right now, related to the corona, the COVID-19 uh, crisis. Uh, this, today's video will be about the southern dimension, Africa and the Middle East in particular, and what the COVID-19 crisis might mean for us and for them living in those neighboring regions to Europe. I'm not an alarmist person by nature, but I think it's time, high time actually, to issue a, an alarm call uh, as regards this particular situation that we are seeing unfolding in front of our eyes relatively slowly so far when it comes to Africa and the, and the Middle East, but inevitably we're going to see a more serious crisis as we go along. We don't see it in the media yet, most of us. We don't look for it, we don't see it automatically. This is nothing new. For instance, during the year 1968, which I studied in particular when I was in the university, uh, the total focus was on the Vietnam War, on Czechoslovakia, on the gold crisis and so on. And most people didn't see uh, the crisis in Biafra unfolding with millions of fatalities. Right now, we just have about 30,000 reported cases in uh, Africa, uh, which is nothing in comparison to millions of cases in the world as a whole. And um, in the Middle East, we mainly hear about Iran. And in Afghanistan, for instance, uh, just about 1,000 reported cases so far. Again, Leaders would like to calm populations about the situation. In my previous video about Russia, uh, I focused together with Mikhail Salin on the issue of uh, the, the contradiction, in fact, between what on the one hand was President Putin during the Easter holidays calming the Russian population only just a few days later to move over to, to warn against the situation and even saying that the military might have to be deployed to deal with the, uh, with the problems at hand. Also in the United States, we saw, uh, as everyone knows, very uh, almost blatant uh, attempts by the American president to uh, misrepresent what was actually happening in that very important country for Europe. So the, there are already uh, analytical pieces out on what is happening in Africa and the Middle East, uh, also in the medical journals such as the Lancet, but they are already dealing with situation as it was a month or two months ago. 
And uh, I predict that we're going to see much more of this as we go along. Uh, and uh, it is against this background that it's important to recognize the global call for attention uh, issued by the Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, Tony Guterres, already in March put out the, an, an appeal for a global ceasefire in the regions which are also likely to be hit by the corona crisis. Well, of course, this is a call which has been widely supported in Europe, including by the United Kingdom and France as permanent members of the Security Council, but which had not been fully supported by Russia or the United States, both arguing that there are interventions that might be necessary in, in, the, uh, in the various conflicts, uh, in the various uh, counter-terrorism campaigns undertaken by these, uh, these countries. And of course, for the United States, it's also an issue of Israel, keeping a, a possibility for Israel to intervene, for instance, in relation to its uh, conflict with Iran. We'll come back to that a little bit later. Uh, the point is, however, that uh, there is a certain uh, tendency that people are listening, for instance in Yemen, uh, but we don't have at all the full realization of the importance of this call yet. Uh, and it coincides with the pressure on the United Nations systems where countries are now stopping to pay their dues to the UN system making it even more difficult for the UN system to function. And uh, indeed, uh, uh, the United States has also blocked uh, uh, the World Health Organization uh, funding. It's been replaced by others like Bill Gates, but the damage has already been done that right in the middle of the crisis where everyone needs to come together to fight the virus, uh, the most important country in the world is then playing the role of undermining the international multilateral system. Now, I will continue in, in an extended part, version of this uh, video uh, with uh, Michael Salin, uh, former Swedish ambassador to Turkey and also envoy to Sudan, uh, discussing the more uh, precise repercussions of the crisis for, uh, for the cases that we are in particular discussing in a report we have written together uh, for the Royal Academy of War Sciences in Sweden in the context of a, a project called uh, Swedish and Perspectives on European Security and in particular on the southern dimension of European security. There, we have uh, looked at uh, the geographic dimensions of our security from the south uh, towards in the direction to the east, in direction to the west, to the north. And in the southern dimension, of course, we have focused on thematic threats, uh, flow security issues, such as how to uh, protect the flows that we need from the south and at the same time to interdict negative flows uh, such as terrorism, organized crime, illegal migration and so forth. 
This has been one part of the analysis. The other part has been how to avoid war spilling over to Europe and uh, interdict major threats such as the proliferation of uh, that weapons of mass destruction and so forth. In all of this, we came up with a preliminary report which has been out for comments for some time now, uh, which focus on the painful balancing act that European governments and European, the European Union will have to, uh, to perform a painful balancing act in, in, uh, in responding to these challenges. Because there is never, almost never, a simple solution to these problems. And it's being now further aggravated by the corona crisis with the COVID crisis. So I'm happy to say that when I've been out making some noise about the earlier video podcast and, and the issue of the COVID crisis effect on European security, one of the first comments I received was, what about Africa? And, uh, and also one US comment that we got on the report itself said, well, listen, you have to update your conclusion because the COVID crisis is going to change uh, some of, of these uh, uh, conclusions. So I mentioned before that there have been, has already been some analysis of the impact of the crisis. Uh, in Lancet, for instance, they have looked at how has the crisis relate uh, in this Chinese phase, the first phase of the crisis, how does it affect Africa? For instance, Africa is of course the, one of the key targets for uh, Chinese trade and investments abroad and there are ties with China all over the region, all over the continent. Uh, and uh, Lancet has been looking at, on the one hand, the possibility for countries like South Africa, Algeria, Egypt, to manage uh, the infections, uh, which a fairly good uh, possibility to do that on the current levels. Just a couple of thousands of cases. Uh, on the one hand. And on the other, of course, uh, what about the more vulnerable countries in the, in the region, which might come lay, later in the infection cycle? Now, of course, we have a completely different situation with uh, Europe and the United States being fully involved in the crisis and where there are enormous amount of links to Africa, of course. So, um, uh, we have to update our analysis of the impact of the crisis from this perspective uh, consistently. So what we've seen so far in the statistics with just about 30,000 uh, cases as registered as uh, towards the end of April, um, let's see how it might develop over the uh, months and years to come. Because if you look back to the Spanish flu and here you see uh, the, the curve for, for the UK of the Spanish flu, which it was a, a, a flu pandemic which uh, lasted over several years in a situation where the population was very weakened due to the First World War, uh, which is a situation we have in Africa, actually. We have a weakened population in many of these countries due to famine, environmental difficulties, uh, grasshoppers and what have you, or other uh, illnesses, uh, a weakened health system, 
How might this develop? Well, it depends, of course, whether the pandemic is going to hit uh, the warmer countries in the same way it's hit the northern hemisphere. We don't know yet whether this uh, notion that it might have hit less in the south than in the north is a myth or not. Secondly, uh, we don't know uh, whether uh, there are going to be uh, the same type of spread also generally in Africa as we have seen in uh, the northern countries. And uh, of course, uh, we don't know uh, what age groups are going to be affected. What we've seen so far is that younger age groups are affected more in the south than we have seen in the north so far, with more fatalities on the average than we have seen in the north. On the and of course, still we don't know how this will relate to secondary uh, illnesses. In the Spanish flu case, we had uh, bacterial infections of the lungs following the virus infections. We don't know whether this will be the case again. We know, of course, that the uh, possibility to deal with bacterial infections are much, much better now. Uh, but we don't know whether the health systems will be prepared to, to manage that. So we're not talking about a limited pandemic like the Ebola. Uh, we are talking about a very wide issue. And uh, of course, the World Health Organization Director General has pointed in particular to the risk of countries, affecting countries with weaker, uh, weaker health systems. But there are almost already now more immediate effects that we can see. And that has to do with the lockdown in the, in the north and the lockdown in some of the uh, southern countries like South Africa as well. How are we going to be able to trade and to provide aid to countries in the Africa and the Middle East. How are we going to be able to be present there in the, to the extent that might be necessary in order to promote cooperation and development in these important regions? Well, uh, social distancing uh, there, of course, in the South is an academic uh, notion. Uh, how, how, how can you distance yourself socially in, in regions uh, such as uh, the Gaza Strip, uh, in refugee camps in Idlib, or um, in, in Lagos, where there is a 50% um, uh, level of malnutrition, uh, bad drinking water, and so forth. How are you going to deal with that? But on the other hand, you can be pretty sure that there will be social distancing between Europe and the South. Uh, with uh, making it much more difficult to uh, develop uh, aid systems uh, to be present there in, in also commercially and so forth. All of this um, we need to discuss in, in context, of course. What does it mean in Afghanistan? What does it mean in Iran, in Syria, and adjacent Turkey, in uh, Libya, in uh, Sudan, in other areas like the DRC and so forth, how will it impact on the possibilities to deal with conflict, to deal with development problems, and what does it mean for migration? How can we manage uh, 
new uh, waves of migration, new ways of organized crime and terrorism and so on. And there are links not only to the oil price and other thematic uh, questions, but also to the issue of how are we going to be able to make sure that in all of this, the cybersecurity system that is already threatened in the world will not make it impossible for us to maintain even contact at a distance with these countries. So in, uh, in the second part of this video, I will discuss some of these cases more in detail, or not in detail, but uh, in more specifically with uh, Mika Sani. Thank you for listening.